Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And for the starting point of this episode, I'd like to begin by looking at chapter 5 of the letter to the Ephesians. I'll be reading verses 25 through 27. There Paul wrote these words, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Just because I like it, I want to reread verse 27, but this time from the King James Version. It says that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. What I want to do in this episode is focus upon the fact that Paul referred to the church as the church in all her glory or as a glorious church. Out of curiosity, I looked up glorious in Webster's new 20th century dictionary of the English language and found the following definitions. Glorious was defined as full of glory, illustrious, giving glory, receiving or deserving of glory, splendid, magnificent. Anyone who understands what God's word has to say related to the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood, that's Acts 20 and verse 28, can easily appreciate why it is referred to as glorious. So let's spend our time in this episode talking about that very thing, the glorious church of Christ. Now let me begin by approaching it from a negative standpoint. For instance, the glory of the church of Christ does not reside in great numbers. Indeed, many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, Enter by the straight gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, Moses said to the children of Israel, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I'm reminded of a statement that Jonathan made in 1 Samuel 14 and verse 6 to the young man who bore his armor. Jonathan said, Come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. From examples found throughout Scripture, it is clear 
that God's glory and the glory of his established institutions do not now, nor have they ever, consisted in numbers, either small or great. It is not numbers that makes the Church of Christ a glorious church. And the glory of the Lord's church is also not determined by the size of its buildings or the price of the physical structure where the saints meet. Today, just as in ages past, men attempt to serve God by building massive structures at great cost, call them churches, and use these edifices to attract people and say, look at how much we love God. However, in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 24 and 25, Paul taught the Athenians that places built by the hands of men for the worship of God just are not important to him. He said, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. Men build massive buildings with all of the latest electronic devices, advertise free Wi-Fi, and call them churches. But that is for themselves because such is of no consequence to God. The glory of the Church of Christ is not found in material buildings of any kind. Let me also make this point. The glorious nature of the Church of Christ cannot be established by looking at the great wisdom of its preachers and members. It is not found by complex theological concepts formulated in councils of great theologians, nor is it to be found in the number of doctors of divinity who man its pulpits. In truth, the scriptures are abundantly clear that the glory of the church does not reside in the wisdom or sophistication of its members, nor in its great theological concepts created in the minds of man. Look with me at what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 2 and verse 2. Paul wrote, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with the superiority of speech or of wisdom, 
proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So know, my friends, the glorious nature of the Church of Christ does not consist in any of the things that we have discussed. But there are many, many things that do make the Church of our Lord the glorious Church Paul wrote about in Ephesians 5. Let's talk about a few of those things now. The Church of Christ has a perfect head, the Lord Jesus himself. I remember being involved in a rather large debate in Lincoln, Nebraska, with the president of the Catholic Answers Organization. He kept telling me I was confusing infallibility with impeccability. No, I wasn't. Infallibility is one thing, impeccability is something else altogether, and the head of the Lord's Church is impeccable, faultless and irreproachable, and no one else is. Paul, in Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, wrote, And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul was writing about Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, and verse 18, tells us that Jesus is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Hebrews 5, 9 tells us of Jesus, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Not only does the Church of Christ have a perfect head, it has a perfect law. It is called in Romans chapter 3 and verse 27, a law of faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 21, it is called the law of Christ. And in James 1 verse 25, it is called the perfect law, the law of liberty. The perfect law is the single message, once delivered for all time and taught everywhere. Jude, in Jude 3, wrote these words, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17 said, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. The Church of Christ is glorious because its organization is the organization sent from above. It is organized as the Lord designed it to be. We've already seen that Jesus is the only head of the church, and between the Lord and the individual congregations, there is no level of organization. Locally, each congregation, when totally and scripturally organized, has elders, deacons, and members. Philippians 1.1 put it most succinctly with these words of greeting from Paul. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. That is it. Of course, there are qualifications for those who would be elders set forth in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1, as well as qualifications for those who would be deacons set forth in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And my friends, the Church of Christ is glorious because of its origin. The churches of men have begun at many different times, at many different places, but not so the Church of Christ. 
Jesus made the statement in Matthew 16 and verse 18 after Peter's confession that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and said, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. And he did just that. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, we see the beginning of that glorious church. The glory of the Church of Christ also is found in that it has been given the greatest mission ever assigned to any institution. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There is nothing more important, or for that matter, no more glorious task to be undertaken than to teach the gospel to a world that is lost and in need of its saving power. That task has been assigned to the Church of Christ. One other point I would like to make is that the Church of Christ is glorious in that it is based upon a seven-point unity platform, if I may put it that way. It is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, where Paul wrote the following, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. My friends, the Church of Christ is designed and purchased by the Lord and brought into existence on the Jewish feast day of Pentecost that we read about in Acts 2 is surely the most glorious institution ever conceived or established in the history of mankind. We are part of it and invite you to come in obedience to the gospel and be added to it by the Lord. Thanks for listening.